The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 143 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I would never disclose any sense of intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news. Go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So we have a great show for you this evening. We're going to have a guest that I have been trying to get on the show now for months. And thankfully, we were finally able to schedule her. The Global Head of Cybersecurity Operations for PayPal Renana Freilich is going to be here with us this evening, and I'm really excited about it. I'm excited because Renana has a lot of experience, a lot of practical, real-world experience, and she's a seasoned cybersecurity executive. Um, she's a results-driven uh, executive. She's got over 15 years of experience in cybersecurity. She's an excellent speaker. She's got a really strong uh, executive communication skills, which is another great reason to have her on the show. And she's known for her outside-the-box innovative thinking when it comes to cybersecurity. So Renata started her career uh, in an elite intelligence unit with the Israeli Defense Forces, where she received military-level training on cybersecurity and served in various positions for over seven years. Then she joined EY and led complex engagements for Fortune 500 clients, ranging from incident response, privacy, mergers and acquisitions, to security tool rationalization. She also did crisis plan development, assessments, and audits. So as part of her role, uh, current role over at PayPal, she heads the cyber defense team across all the PayPal brands. So it's global, and she oversees the incident response, the vulnerability management, data protection operations, and security operations engineering functions. So I'm really excited uh, to have her here. She's got all this experience that she can share with us. Um, I'm going to be zeroing in on, on, on a few specific topics, but it's going to be a great show. So uh, thanks for listening. Let's get on with it. So it's time to welcome to the show the global head of cybersecurity operations for PayPal, Renana Friedlich. Renana, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Hey, really excited to have you on. I know it took a while to, to, to schedule this, and, and uh, I really appreciate you taking some time uh, out of your day to speak with us. We've got a, a pretty cool topic tonight. Um, it's not something that we've spoken about before, but we're, we're talking about uh, how to get, why do we do, why do we get companies on retainer and especially in the incident response space and what that means. And so I want to kick off the show in this segment by just getting to the basics and just asking the simple question, why should companies get a retainer? What are the benefits of getting a retainer? 
You know, that's, that's really a great question to kick off the show with. So when you think about a retainer, right, you're retaining an outside company to come in and perform incident response and digital forensic investigation on your behalf. And so by getting a retainer and getting the terms and conditions in place, you're able to know who you're going to call if the crisis happens. And we all know it's not a question of if, but when. So by having it in place, you're likely going to be able to engage with the company faster. Yes, you're likely going to get a better rate and you're going to be able to negotiate a better deal. And finally, um, make sure you have someone you trust, someone you can rely on to work with you at the darkest time for the company. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's going to have a bad day, right? I think everyone's going to have a bad day and you always need backup. Um, how many retainers did you get? I mean, how many, you know, how many, how many companies should you have on retainer for incident response? Is one enough? So when you think about retainers, there are a couple of key questions here. Um, first question here, are you going with the paid or unpaid model? And what do I mean by that? When you choose to pick a forensic retainer, you can go with a $0 retainer. That basically means you don't pay anything upfront. Um, you get the minimum SLA. In most cases, the company will engage with you as soon as possible. And, you know, it may be good if you don't have the budget to hire a company and pay X amount of dollars upfront. The flip side of that, you can get a paid retainer. And so normally what I've seen is with paid retainers, you tend to get a better SLA. So the, the retainer company will be willing to commit to engaging with you, whether that's a matter of several hours or, or less than a day. Um, and you're also normally getting a bucket of hours that you can utilize towards investigations. So these are the main two types. And, you know, normally I see paid retainers um, going from 50K, 100K. So right. you have these several steps. Um, and I think I've mentioned it, but I'll, I'll call it one more time, that the paid really tend to have a, a better SLA. So if SLA is something that's really important for the company, they would likely prefer to go with a paid retainer. The flip side of that is you're paying money upfront for a service you may or may not need. Right, right. So the more you pay usually, it, well, let me ask you, usually the more you pay, the, the faster the service would be guaranteed in the contract, correct? Yes, up to a certain level. So I think once you hit a certain threshold and it will vary from one company to another, you may not be able to improve the SLA. So a typical SLA would be up to four hours to acknowledge um, you have a request and you want to jump on a call with someone to discuss the situation. Um, it's very well to be able to get a better SLA than four hours. So if I pay 50,000 and I don't have an incident that I need to spend the 50,000 on. I don't need an incident response team to supplement my, my efforts. Do I lose the 50,000 in most contracts or can I apply it to other services? So my recommendation here is, as you're thinking about signing a paid retainer, make sure you understand if you can use the dollars towards other services. Most companies will be open to that. And so they will allow you to use it towards 
proactive incident response services such as tabletops, uh, plan development, assessments, and so forth. Um, and, and other companies will allow you to use it towards pretty much any consulting services that the company would offer. So it's really important to include that as part of the statement of work and make sure that it's taken into account before signing the contract. So I have an incident response team. I have a global, I say I have a global um, company, right? I have a, a global responsibility mm-hmm. and I have one incident response retainer, you know, say I spend a hundred thousand dollars on an incident response uh, company to get them on retainer. What is that enough? I mean, should I have more than one? What's the, what's the proper amount of uh, companies that you should have on retainer if you have the resources and if you need it? <laughs> so, it, I mean, the number will change, right? When we say 100K for one company, that may seem like a whole lot of money. And then for another company, it may seem like right. just 100K. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so I would say... Normally what I see, especially with the Fortune 500 companies I've worked with in the past, uh, I see a tendency to have more than one retainer. One retainer would normally be paid uh, by the legal or the outside counsel in order for the company to maintain attorney-client privilege. And the other retainer will be signed with the information security department and it will not be under privilege. And, and one of the benefits of having these two separate retainers, it really allows you to choose if you want to invoke privilege for the investigation or whether that's something you don't need to invoke privilege for. Right. So what's the, what's the, what's the uh, theory behind having one company uh, through your legal department or an outside legal counsel, even better yet, but, and then another, another, company that's signed directly with the information security department. Why not both companies set up for, you know, so they're, you have legal privilege. Uh, that's such a great question. So the way I would look at it is when you engage with outside counsel, you're not only paying the outside forensic company, but you're also paying counsel. You would normally do that for the larger scale incidents where you want to maintain privilege and protect the company from having to disclose the information. Um, Every now and then, if you're sitting in a security operation center or just an incident response function within an organization, you may have like a one-off where you need an extra set of eyes, Uh, you need someone who has uh, a special experience, let's say with Linux operating system or an analyzing logs in, in AWS. So these very specific items, and you may not have someone on the team who is experienced enough in performing that kind of investigation. And so you wouldn't necessarily want to invoke privilege on these items because they are more like day-to-day incidents versus the larger scale incidents. Right, right. So different needs right for different types of incidents what's the correlation between cyber insurance and a retainer uh that's such a great question Mm. i'm glad you brought it up so when when we think about cyber insurance um you can actually submit a claim for the activity performed by the retainer company 
So let's say you engage with a third party to perform an investigation into a data breach. You have the option of charging that or finding a claim with your cyber insurance. It's a very common mistake not to make sure your retail provider is actually covered by your cyber insurance policy. And let me tell you that if they're not listed under, under your policy, um, they may not be willing to pay. And so finding out after you've completed your investigation and you're ready to file a claim thinking, oh, that's going to be covered. That's why I'm paying my cyber insurance policy that you actually have to pay out of pocket could be a very, very disappointing place to be in. So it's, it's highly recommended, especially when engaging with um, external parties to make sure that they are listed under the cyber insurance policy. Do you think most companies have cybersecurity insurance? And if they do, do you think they actually have the retainers covered under the insurance like you just described? You know, I never really looked at the data. I think the companies who are more mature from a cybersecurity perspective tend to have a cyber insurance policy. And they tend to make the correlation between their cyber insurance and their retainer provider. Um, for companies who may not be Fortune 500, or they may not have a cyber insurance, they're probably not thinking about it. All right, folks, we've got to transition into a commercial break. If you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number seven, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited to back this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the global head of cybersecurity operations for PayPal, Ms. Renana Friedlich. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. But it can bankrupt your company. It's internal risk. Insider fraud, ethics violations, and remote workforce risk have plunged many a company into reputational crisis. Don't be one of them. The corporate investigative team at Bluecoat have managed cybersecurity and risk mitigation in the White House, Silicon Valley, and everywhere in between. To see how Bluecoat can help protect you, visit TrustBlueCoat.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., 
Cynet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Cynet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Cynet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the global head of cybersecurity operations for PayPal, Mrs. Renana Friedlake. So, Renana, we were talking at the at the break about you know some of the considerations that companies should be uh, considering when they choose um, a company to be put on retainer for incident response and, and forensic investigations. So, let's start with technology. What what do you think those considerations should be? Well, when it comes to technology, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is your retainer provider going to force you to buy any new tools. Or will they be willing to work with the tools you already have in your environment? Um, You definitely don't want to find out when you're in the midst of an incident that you need to buy new technology, new licenses, something. If you don't have the tool to begin with, um, okay, maybe that's something worth considering. But if you already invested so much money in deploying, whether that's an, an endpoint detection tool or a network sensor or whatever that may be, uh, you don't want to start purchasing products at that point in time. So I, I think that's absolutely critical to know whether the company, the uh, forensic company will be willing to use your technology 
or will they enforce their technology on you? Um, the second piece to that, how will they access their technology? And it may sound like a pretty straightforward process, but if you have to onboard resources, uh, you need to give them a laptop, maybe. Do you need to give them access to VPN? How will they access your security tools? And you may have different tools that they need to have access to. And so thinking about these items beforehand is absolutely critical. And it's a, a key decision factor when choosing a forensic retainer company. How about if you're already using the firm's uh, tools on your endpoints and on your network, and you want to use another company uh, for uh, uh, the retainer, even though the, the one company that's giving you the tools, they also have IR services as well. Is it better just to go with the company that you already have the relationship and you're already using their tools that they would be using in the incident response anyway? Or is it just as easy to go with another company and you have to give them access to those tools? So now you're getting into a, a gray area. Um, and why do I mean that? So when you're working with an MSSP provider, they already have access to all of your tools and they may be able to provide you with those retainer and IR services. Um, if you're going to be having, let's say, company A, I don't want to call anyone out, um, and they have their own product, but you hire them to work on the product of company B, how efficient they would be. And so in most cases, what you see, uh, you see retainers being provided by tool agnostic companies, whether that's big four or consulting companies. And then you use them, they have the experience with different tools, different environments, versus having that very special in-depth experience with one tool. Because in order for you to perform a successful investigation, you're going to need to have access to different tools in the environment. And so it becomes absolutely critical for the company to be able to see the environment as a whole and not only focus on one element within your technology stack. So what about the overall response process? Uh, let's start out with the fact that do these, when you sign these retainers with these companies, is it expected that they're going to be on-prem? Like, and how fast do you expect them to be there usually? Or do they have to come there at all? Can they do it remotely? Yeah, so you know, when, when I started performing investigations uh, more than 15 years ago, you would always, always show up on site. Like, that was the expectation. You just jump off planes, you get to the client site. I specifically recall one client, and if they ever hear the conversation, they'll, they'll know it's them, um, where I had to get on site. I landed... Uh, somewhere on the East Coast at like 11 p.m. at night, headed straight to the office and walked with them till 4 o'clock in the morning just so I can show up on site the next day at 8. Those days are gone. Um, is there still value in spending time together on site? Absolutely. Do you need the whole crew of, you know, sometimes if it's a large-scale investigation, maybe 10, 20 people, do you need them all to be on site? Absolutely not. Um, for the most part, people should be able to have remote access. Maybe you have your incident commander and, and one or two analysts on site with you. Um, but for the most part, investigation nowadays are 100% remote. 
there's really no need to jump on planes like we used to. So what are the common misalignment mistakes that companies make when they sign these other companies on retainer? So, you know, before we talk about, about mistakes, um, I kind of want to go back to, to the process question and, and talk about a couple other things that I think are really important. Okay. Um, so first of all, know what is the criteria and when and how to engage. So when you think about it, um, who is allowed to call the forensic retainer and say, we need to start an investigation? Is it the CISO? Um, do they have a delegate? What happens if they're in the, up in the air or underwater? And, and then there's no one who can actually engage with a forensic company. So always make sure you have a couple of backups, uh, whether that's head of security operations, um, the deputy CISO, whoever that may be. And most critically, know what is the criteria. Um, is it the number of impacted users? Is it the legal or, or regulatory risk to the company? And that process really needs to be clearly defined. Otherwise, you may find yourself using your retainer provider too often, or you may find that you're not using them often enough. So that's one piece I wanted to touch on. Uh, the second piece, when we talk about processes, the company you're going to be hiring, do they processes actually align with your own internal processes? And, and it may sound trivial, like investigations are investigations. We all know it starts with detection. Uh, you go through containment, remediation, and so forth. But you'd be surprised that your processes may not be aligned with their vision and how they would like to see things. And so it's absolutely critical from a, a process perspective to have a sit down, have a regular meetings with a provider and just make sure you really see things eye to eye. And then finally, defining the roles and responsibilities. Who is the incident commander? Uh, who's responsible for documentation? What are you engaging the forensic retainer for? Are you engaging with them solely for investigation of a laptop? Or do you expect them to run 24 by 7 operation until we reach remediation? And so having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation around the processes, the criteria, the roles and responsibilities is absolutely key for a successful incident remediation. So do you see it in, in your experience where you, the company hires, uh, you know, gets the retainer and they bring them in on an incident. Is the company that, uh, that hired the, the vendor, are they in charge of the incident a lot of times or do they actually give it right to the, the vendor and say, okay, look, you're calling the shots at least on the, on the response piece. And do you find out that, do you think that a lot of these vendors just want to be in charge of the investigation? Like they want to run it. And, you know, I, I see that, that, in my experience, that, that could be a problem. <laughs> so the company that brings in the external forensic retainer provider is always in charge. They cannot delegate. Um, the, the consulting company could not take the responsibility necessarily for making certain decisions just because they don't own the risk. And it, it's a risk-based decision. So, so having clear definitions for the investigation. Um, what are the objectives? What are we trying to do here? 
when do we stop? And it may sound so trivial, but when you're walking on an incident after those sleepless nights, you've been staring at your computer screen 17 hours a day for you know weeks now, and you're trying to make the right decision. Um, how do you know you've reached that point? How do you know the incident has been contained? And so defining these items, um, making sure that it's very clear for everyone, and making it a risk-based decision um, definitely makes a difference. So let's get back to the mistakes. What kind of common mistakes do you see happen uh, when these vendor companies, these retainer companies are, uh, are brought in? Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, let's start with one that, that is very common. Um, you bring in an outside retainer company because you know they have great reputation because they're covered by your cyber insurance policy. And I've seen cases where companies chose to go with the um, lowest option from a, a, like a fee perspective. So it may look great on paper, but when they needed to protect their brand and when the news hit the media, uh, you saw them hiring a company that no one ever heard of, uh, you can't really validate the credentials of the analysts. Um, and it just doesn't look good. You know, in, in these situations when you engage with a, a company, you, you want the company's reputation to kind of carry over and show you're treating this seriously and you're taking it as a serious matter. So brand absolutely makes a difference. Um, second mistake that I'll call out and we've previously talked about it is attorney-client privilege. So I wanna be very clear, it was in the, in the news recently, let's not refer to the specific company, but basically if you don't hire the retainer company under privilege, the report could be discoverable and all of the investigation details could be accessible by a court of law. You want to invoke privilege early and you want to engage with the forensic retainer through outside counsel. Finally, you know, that's a, a common mistake and, and I worked at Ernst & Young for so many years uh, the RFP process. So there are probably about 15, 20, 20 companies out there that have good reputation when it comes to incident response and computer forensics retainer services. I have seen very lengthy RFPs to evaluate the, the readiness, the um, level of experience, and it's almost like going through another Gartner um, research. So I would recommend to the companies out there to get the data that they need. It's already out there and maybe reduce the amount of time they spend on the RFP so they can actually have a retainer in place. So in your opinion, what's the most important factor you should consider when choosing a provider? Number one factor. I would say number one factor is trust. You want someone who's going to show up at their best when you need them the most. Um, make sure that they are accessible 
and really want to walk with you. Without trust, it's going to be extremely hard to be navigating the incident, the mega incident situation. And, and trust is earned through relationships. So if, if someone is setting up the retainer agreement, having regular meetings, um, I like to meet at least on a quarterly basis and make sure that I know the people I'm going to call and know that these are the people I can really trust. That, that's probably the most important thing for me personally. All right, Renata, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, folks, but don't go away. We'll be right back with our special guest, the global head of cybersecurity operations for PayPal, Mrs. Renana Freidlich. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. But it can bankrupt your company. It's internal risk. Insider fraud, ethics violations, and remote workforce risk have plunged many a company into reputational crisis. Don't be one of them. The corporate investigative team at Bluecoat have managed cybersecurity and risk mitigation in the White House, Silicon Valley, and everywhere in between. To see how Bluecoat can help protect you, visit TrustBlueCoat.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the global head of cybersecurity operations for PayPal, Mrs. Renana Freidlich. So, Renana, a lot of the considerations that go into um, getting a vendor uh, on retainer, a forensic uh, company, is to actually understand your own preparedness for an incident response event. So, how do you know if your company is prepared to handle a global scenario, and how does that equate into determining what kind of vendor and what kind of services you need? So when you think about a global scenario, that, that should really be a part of the evaluation process. So when you're choosing which forensic provider you want to work with, take that into account. Is there going to be a different fee for different locations? And so the company has to really do the due diligence, assess what regions they would likely need to engage a, a forensic investigator for, and then based on that, get that into the SUW. I think I've mentioned earlier, so today many of the investigations are performed remotely, and so you may or may not need to have someone physically on the ground, but it's always good to cover the basics first. And if you think you may be at a situation, let's say someone has to collect hard drives for you. Gee, it's been a while, but you know, people still do that nowadays. Then it would be important to take that into account. So bottom line, if you're, if you're running a global operations company, make sure that the computer forensics cover your global operations, not just, for example, your U.S.-based company. So you sign the retainer with a company. You have everything in place. You're feel, feeling pretty good. What's the communication look like after that? I mean, if you don't have an incident for a while, how do you keep in touch with the company and how often should you be you know, talking or touching base? You know, that's actually one of my favorite questions. So basically, in, in a lot of cases, you sign the retainer and you forget about it. You know it's somewhere on your hard drive or your mailbox and you're like, yeah, when, when I need them, I'll just uh, look up the SUW, I'll find who's my point of contact and I'll give them a call. But then when you really need them, do you really have the right details? Do you know who to call? Uh, some some of the forensic retainers providers have a 1-800 number, so it's very easy. You don't need to know anyone. You just call that number, hope that the analyst taking the call is actually prepared to talk to you, or at least able to take the message and, and pass it forward. In other cases, you may be reaching out to an individual, and so making sure that that individual is still with the company making sure that you have the cell phone number and that you have at least one or two backup options if you don't have another retainer company that you're going to call. 
And I was going to talk about it earlier, but you know, I, I think it's really important to highlight for those listening to the, to the event today. Um, even if you call, it's not like you're going to jump on a call with an expert right away. You're likely going to get to someone who's going to get the call, get the initial details, and it will take them time to actually make the introduction to the relevant stakeholder within the forensic provider. And so it, it's really important to, to set up expectations around that. So my recommendation, at a minimum, do a test. If you get a 1-800 number, why don't you just call that number and see, hey, who actually picks up the phone? See if someone picks up. <laughs> what if you call 2 o'clock in the morning, right? You know? And I've had situations before, you know, where, where uh, a client would tell me, hey, uh, we tried calling uh, that company and no one picked up the phone, so we wanted to have a, a point of contact, someone that we're going to call, and we know that they're going to be available no matter what. So there's a, there's a fine balance between the 1-800 number versus the point of contact. Um, and I would say if whatever route you're going to take, the most important thing as part of evaluating the company is actually testing and make sure that you're getting the response you would expect. And it all comes down to relationships, I think, just like with anything else too. I mean, if you really, if you know the person that's in charge of the incident response program and you have a good relationship with them, I mean, the 1-800 number is great, but when you need to pick up the phone and talk to somebody, it's great to have a friend where you can just say, hey, look, I, you know, you have their cell phone number and you can call them up and get them on and explain to them what's going on and they can get things moving for you real quick because, you know, well, let's talk about it. I mean, how, how important is time and flexibility and speed in, in this whole uh, incident response situation with the retainer. I mean, you can't have them calling you back within like, you know, 48 hours or something like that. <laughs> right. And that's where the SLA really comes into play. Yeah. So if you get the paid retainer, you're likely getting a, a better SLA um, couple of hours max. If you're getting the unpaid, the $0 retainer, um, it would likely say, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Will the company be reactive? Well, it depends on the company, but for the most part, they would like to be very reactive and, and help with the investigation. Um, you know, the question comes down to, if they don't meet the SLA, what are you going to do? And so that's why I've seen many Fortune 500 companies engage with more than one retainer provider. They always have a, a cushion to rely on, so they reach out to two companies at the same time and see who gets back to them faster. Do you think the retainer companies play nice together when they have to work together on the same incident? So I've had this situation before, and I have to say, I, I, I feel like I build great relationships with few of the forensic retainers out there. We, we all like to think we're professionals and do the right thing for the company, for the client. You know, I'm no longer in a, in a consulting role but I really appreciate when two vendors who may see themselves as competitors during day-to-day -day situations really come together and do the right thing to serve their clients. Yeah, you like to see it, but human nature comes into place a lot of times. I mean, I, I know vendors out there who just don't like to work with others, you know. Um, it's all about people. People, yeah, people, people. So what does the future look like for the retainer market? Where do you think it's going? So when, when we think about the future, um, one 
I would say a very lean model approach. We used to see investigations, thousands of hours, millions of dollars, jumping off planes. I mean, that was great. Um, but at the end of the day, right now, I see investigations being a little bit more focused and more targeted. Also, when you think about cloud investigations, some of the companies out there have expanded their services. So it's no longer just this forensics or malware analysis, but bringing the cloud knowledge and expertise is absolutely important. And as more and more companies are moving to the cloud, you see the computer forensics retainers uh, providers moving in the same direction. I got a question for you. If you can't answer it, you know, just let me know. And we won't get into specifics. We won't name any names. But in your experience, how many good retainer companies are there out there right now? Forensic retainer companies. I mean, is there like three or four of them? And then after like the fourth one, it drops off a cliff in terms of the talent, you know, and, 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 and the speed and the service. So I have not had a chance to work with all of the companies out there. But I'll tell you that there are great companies great brands, strong people, people that you really trust. And I wouldn't hesitate calling them if something happened. So any company out there should do the research. And remember, it's all about the people and it's all about the trust. If you get these two nailed down, you'll have a very successful relationship with your computer forensics provider. Renata, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a great show. Can't wait to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks, it's time to go. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 